Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, a couple of globe cucks like yourself praise NASA for their <sighs> perseverance. For putting another rover on Mars named Perseverance. Then we board a choo-choo train headed to complaining about climate change denier town as Brett gets into a fantastic Bong Joon-ho directed sci-fi train movie, Snowpiercer. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing awesome, man. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. Thanks. I'm back home. Uh, I see that sitting in the airstream, huh? I am. I am. I was gone for a month. Uh, my dog is now doubled in size. Whoa. He was tiny when I left. Now he's huge. I know what you're going to say, but before you ask me, my wife stayed the same size. <laughs> <So>. Good. <laughs> she didn't double in size while you were gone? No. That's no, great. Just the it's dog. great that uh, Bree was able to keep it together while you were on the road. <laughs> And um, it's uh, two skydives today. Actually, it was the first day that the uh, my home drop zone reopened. So, it, like coincidentally, I got to jump there at their last day of the season, and then they closed just because of the cold weather. And then they opened uh, literally today, and so I got to jump there on their first open day of the season. So that was pretty cool. That sounds amazing. It was and pretty chilly. Something else that may sound amazing is Brett's audio. You guys may notice that Brett's back on his uh, studio mic, and I'm sure you guys appreciate this, and if you're anything like me, you wish that Brett would just stop trying to improve his life by getting a job, just so his audio sounds good on the podcast. If you agree with me, write in uh, to contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Oh, speaking of which, do we do we want to read this uh, letter that we got, this email? Yeah, we should totally read some fan mail. I think right off the top, I want to get into this. So this is from uh, somebody by the name of Kara Sprinkle. Uh, She reached out and said, love the podcast, guys. It's a true delight. Thank you. Keep up the good work. And uh, Kara wanted to submit her favorite piece of content that we've covered. She was apparently riveted. I don't know if that was a little Airstream pun in there, if it was intended or not, but she was riveted by our one-wheel conversation. I don't know which one she's referring to. She just said your one-wheel conversation. We've had several. 60% of the show. (laughs) And uh, she said she's been begging her husband for one, and he also had a listen, and he was sold, and she loves her one-wheel so much. It's an absolute riot. And she also said the helmet and wrist guard recommendation was essential. It was the deep dive product review I didn't know I needed. I don't even remember talking about wrist guards and helmets. I feel like maybe Kara's reading our text messages because I remember (laughs) recommending them to you, but I don't remember talking about them on the show. I think I remember bringing up that I felt naked riding without wrist guards (laughs) for like the first 50 miles on my one wheel because I just felt like I had not fully trusted that it was just going to keep going. Like I felt like I was going to go over the handlebars and uh, if it had those and I felt like the wrist guards are really important, but I think I may have passed them off to our buddy Chase who also bought a one wheel just to, you know, pass on the, uh, 
the nakedness covering of your wrist so someone else can feel safe while they're writing. Well, that's I awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, thanks I feel so much like, for writing in, Kara. Yeah. Thanks, Kara. I, so have we sold two one wheels now? I mean, I don't know. It It's starting to look that way. I think that uh, one wheel may come a knock and actually we're doing all their <laughs> advertising for free. Why would they? <laughs> that's true. Well, it's it's pretty cool. This is somebody I met. Um, gosh, it was probably like nine years ago. Uh, Bree and I went to a concert at the Gorge. Uh, Labor Dave is what Kara said. So it must have been a Dave Matthews Band concert. Probably Bree and I is one of our first concert going experiences. Uh, before so she let herself go. <laughs> before she doubled in size like the dog. <laughs> So I'm, I'm really excited uh, to hear about your one wheel. Stay safe. Keep those wrist guards on. Just because Josh has grown out of them apparently and passed them on to Chase doesn't mean you have to give your wrist guards to Chase, Kara. Because I still wear my <laughs> wrist guards. I'm still scared of breaking my little feminine wrists. And Chase already has some wrist guards, so oh, okay, not necessary. <laughs> oh yeah, because he he has Josh's. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. We love hearing from you guys, and definitely keep those messages coming in. Uh, we really appreciate it. So what you got for the off-top, Josh? Um, well, you know what? Before I get into off-top, I do want to mention uh, that we have a Discord channel now. I know we've been plugging that a little bit at the end of the show, but uh, our super fan, flip 6 hole informed us that the Discord link was broken in the show notes. So we are going to add the new Discord link in the show notes. And if you guys want to get on and chat with us and tell us about content or one wheels or wrist guards or doubling in size, then uh, check that, click in there, join, and then you can chat with us. So, off top. Uh... My head must seriously be out of the game because I didn't realize that we were landing a rover on Mars until two days before it was scheduled to land. I'm sure you knew about this. I was, I, uh, I was aware of uh, the rover Perseverance, but I'm excited you're talking about this because I don't know much about it. I know a, like a handful of little facts. Well, it's uh, so it landed on the 18th, and it's kind of ironic because... All day on the 16th, I was lurking on uh, flat earth pages on social media. <laughs> I was looking as one for, is one to do. <laughs> yes. I was looking for the most ridiculous science, and uh, I had no trouble finding that. I was actually surprised by how much Bible was being quoted in their research. Yeah. But I hope you guys can hear the air quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that a few months ago, our buddy Nate, uh, shout out to Nate. He invited me to the official Flat Earth discussion page and had to pass this rigorous battery of questions to get in that consisted almost entirely of, do you promise not to refute any claims about Flat Earth? So, of course, I said yes. I mean, got to get in there, right? <laughs> so, got to do what you got to do. So I was, I was on there for like three days, and I was just like, oh, my God, I cannot take this. I had to block <laughs> this from my feed. It was so ridiculous. But then a few days ago, I was thinking like, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about Flat Earth for it off top. So I uh, I went back to check on one of my favorite groups of disillusioned people. And uh, I found that, that this page had been completely shut down and replaced what can only be described as a Flat Earth troll site. It's like, like seriously, a, f- a few of the people were trying, there's like a few believers trying to assert 
you know, their knowledge and everyone else was just burning them so hard. It was really glorious. And I was thinking about just burning flat earth this whole time, but that's kind of like low hanging fruit. So the, the one downside of all this is that my Facebook account now has me peg, pegged as a flat earther. I've been oh getting all these suggestions, <laughs> but oh God. that's just a little of a preamble. Okay. <laughs> let's discuss something that's actually interesting. And me being a certified globe cuck, I find the Mars <laughs> perseverance extremely interesting. Now is Mars uh, flat too? I've always wondered. I that. mean, okay, here's actually one one problem I've always had with this flat Earth thing. Well, just one. There's just one. So they talk about how, you know, it's like, oh, all the all the planets are round, but our planet is flat. Like, did it never occur to them that maybe our planet is flat, but it's round like a pizza? And then all of the pictures that we're seeing of the other planets are actually we're seeing it from the face. So we're seeing it as if, you know, the pizza was standing up on its side. It would appear around us because we're looking through telescopes. And those are inherently two-dimensional images. Just saying, do your homework, guys. Don't get on the globe cuck train just yet. There could be something <laughs> to this flat earth thing. <laughs> so have you seen the mars.nasa.gov website? Oh, it's my homepage. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. We'll link this in the show notes. Like, it actually is really amazing. It could be the next Google, but uh, they had it's a, it's very well done. It's like this multimedia page. They have the interactive three D models of the rovers. That you can rotate and click on the different components and the different uh, sensors it has, which is pretty neat. But they had this real time distance to Mars tracker, and the numbers were rolling down counting the distance traveled from earth and the distance remaining to Mars. And they were rolling down. It was, it was a, it was a rate of about like 20 miles per second. At least like that's kind of what I could track just watching it. But it said that the Rover was traveling about f- 47.8 thousand miles per hour relative to the sun on its approach to Mars. And, uh, you know, 2020 may have been a bust on earth, but apparently for Mars, it was a total boom. So we have this rover, the Perseverance. There's no, co- going. There's no COVID on Mars. I know. That's there's no atmosphere for it to live in. <laughs> so there's this there's this mission, but you know there were three missions launched in 2020 to Mars. I did not know that. Wait, was one of them Chinese? Yeah, there's a Chinese yeah. mission. Okay, uh, I knew about there that was one and uh, Perseverance. What? What were the other ones? Wait, there's a UAE three mission. Uh, three. three. A UAE mission. It was, uh, so there was the Chinese, the Tianwen-1, that launched on July 23rd, 2020. The UA, UAE mission, uh, the Hope Orbiter, launched July 2020, and it entered Mars's orbit February 19th, so like one day after the, this one landed. And apparently, like Mars, you know, it's, it's at its closest to Earth every 26 months, so if you want to reach it, you have to lift off within this very specific window, and I guess... 2020 i mean like everybody was scrambling it was at every like four years or something that window uh 26 months okay you know that yeah. next season of uh battle bots is gonna be out of this world bro <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's just gonna be orbiters battling no it's gonna be the it's gonna be the rovers man oh yeah, yeah so the uae versus china versus the u.s in the ring buddy it'll be a short battle i feel like I, those things are probably uh pretty fragile you probably can't handle like the spinning saw blade that most of the battle bots evolved into 
I don't think they can handle like a grain of dust. Uh, you remember Mike Lucas, that uh, NASA uh, uh, JPL volunteer public speaker that I was talking about that taught my ground school. One of the things that he showed us was this um, HEPA filtered clean room that they build all these satellites. And I think the Perseverance, he was he went in or they wouldn't let him into the room. But he was on the other side of the glass for where they were putting together one of the, one of the Martian missions, I believe. I think it was the Perseverance. Uh, the timing would make sense because this was fairly recently. But you know, everybody's in hairnets and uh, you know these full gowns, these white, uh, you know, clean room garb. But he also said that the air is constantly being replaced. Like the the air in this entire room was being replaced every few seconds. And so there's just this like constant wind from the ceiling to the floor and everything is all filtered out. Cause I mean, you can't, you can't even have like a, a grain of dust essentially that could contaminate these experiments or maybe like, um, you know, everybody's grounded. They were grounding straps because one little bit of static electricity could n- cause some issues with these sensitive electronics. I mean, it's, it's just like unbelievable engineering. Yeah. It's, Man, it's so intense. And These are I've no heard battle that, like, bots. <laughs> yeah. Can't even beat air mites in the air. Yeah. I've heard that, like, no matter how well they keep them clean, like, there's still bacteria that gets into them. So, like, back- Mars is completely populated by robots and bacteria from Earth. It. I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's if they do such a good job keeping it clean, I don't know. You're probably right. I mean, if you guys are taking your advice about investing or uh, how bacteria can survive in a clean room from the content clearinghouse, you're doing it wrong. This is a content show. That is true. So what do you think about that first picture that came back from Perseverance? Oh, man. So I watched the the touchdown live. Uh So so I just kind of randomly logged into the YouTube, uh, their live stream, and I saw they had all this footage from Mission Control and it was really intense, like them talking back and forth, relaying the real-time telemetry. Uh, and I, I started thinking about like the time delay because they're talking about everything as if it's in real time. But I believe Mars was you know, four minutes removed or four light minutes removed from Earth. And so you know, like from reading The Lost Fleet, I had like this really, uh, this really intimate understanding of like how time delay works in space, at least, you know, as far as you can understand that from fiction. And so it, it was really interesting thinking about them, like talking about, you know, we have separation, we have the sky crane deployment, which was like the retro rocket powered descender that lowered the perseverance down to the planet. And they're talking about it as if it all just happened, but all of this information, you know, it's like they're talking about things that happened four minutes in the past. But then I watched that first image come back from the Rover and it was really incredible because it's like that image is so simple. We should link the image. It's it's just like yeah. this black and white. It's from I think they said it's like from the uh, the science camera or something. You know, it's like is that why it was not- so bad? It looks it looks like somebody's like the nest footage that you see on it YouTube. It totally is. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's uh, I think it. It looks like it's a night vision. It's mainly the camera that the rover uses to navigate with. So it's like okay. relatively low res. But it's gotcha. so crazy to think about that image 
it, something kind of creepy about it. You know, it, that image being shot across the cosmos to us from another planet and how how significant and rare that is yeah. that we've been able to put a robot on another planet. It's like totally amazing. It's it's pretty amazing. I, and I'm, uh, you know, I actually just want to mention something. I, I recently looked this up because I was talking about this with my father-in-law and the time delay ranges from three minutes to like 20 something minutes with Mars. Like that's how much it's yeah. the difference can be in orbit. I mean, from the sun, I know sunlight takes about eight and a half minutes to get to earth and that stays consistent obviously because we're in orbit around the sun. But so the time delay, it probably is, you know, like you said, three or four minutes right now, but it can be more than 20 minutes. Yeah. And that's why they had to launch last year. That's like everybody was like, blowing their Mars nut in yeah. 2020, <laughs> trying to catch it. And did you did you hear about how they described the Perseverance as a robotic astrobiologist? Like the, the primary mission of the Perseverance is to seek signs of ancient life on Mars and collect rock samples and regolith, which is like broken down rocks and soil, and possibly return them to Earth. I thought that was, that is like a sci-fi mission. And that's yeah, not I something think- that I've seen before. I think it has this tool. I think it's called Sherlock, and it can actually drill. I saw a picture on Reddit a few days ago of the first hole that it dug. So it'll it'll actually drill into the ground. Pretty cool stuff, man. That's incredible. It the, really the, is. The most amazing thing about this mission, Yeah. what do you know about the, the Mars helicopter, the Ingenuity? Did you see anything about oh. that? <laughs> I don't know much about it, but I saw like some graphic of it. It looks pretty insane. So this is going to be the first powered flight on Mars, and the the only goal for for this particular helicopter is performing one or more flights over a 39-day period. Seems like pretty loose standards, NASA. But <laughs> it will be a huge accomplishment if it works because the extremely thin atmosphere on Mars. So my buddy Chris, uh, he actually sent me a link to this the other day, but I didn't put it together that this was happening right now. I don't know why. But, you know, my, my thoughts immediately went to flying FPV and how hard it would be to fly a remote vehicle, you know, from a minimum distance of three or four light minutes. You know, currently the, the signal round trip is about 11 and a half minutes. You know, it's, like it's, it's slowly expanding as the orbits change. But that's a lot of latency you're dealing with. And Seriously. you're sending up like these pre-programmed maneuvers to the helicopter and then just hoping that everything works. And I mean, you know, I know anything that has to do with flying, the complications are like tenfold over anything that happens on the ground. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that would be difficult to, I mean, there, there must be just some very basic maneuvers that they're like sending there. And there, there must be some level of automation. It's funny that that's where your mind went. Cause my first thought was, um, they're already setting up that Amazon drone delivery service on Mars. <laughs> I must be yeah. ordering things on Amazon too frequently. That's the first totally. thing I thought of. They're going to start sending all of your dog food there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, maybe they'll uh, stay the same size. The blades on this thing must be extremely efficient to fly in the atmosphere on Mars too, which is 100 times thinner than Earth's. So I was reading about them building this thing to fly in that atmosphere and, and to test the efficiency. Uh, they used the JPL's vacuum chamber. They sucked all of the earth gases out 
and then re-injected a thin atmosphere of carbon dioxide. And so that's as close as they could get to the Mars atmosphere. And then they had to simulate removing two-thirds of Earth's gravity to see if it would still fly. And the team accomplished that by... They created this gravity offload system. It was a motorized lanyard attached to the top of the helicopter. It provided an uninterrupted tug equivalent to two-thirds of Earth's gravity. So they had all that set up, and then they flew it off the ground, two inches off the ground. Uh, They landed it. They reset everything, and then they flew it for a second test, a grand total of one minute of flight time at an altitude of two inches. And once those tests were done, they said, the next time we fly this thing, it's going to be on Mars. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> wild. I have not. I did not know anything about this. That's incredible. Yeah, that is. The, the fact that they're sending a flying machine now, that really is like the next step. You know, that's going to be, if that works and they're able to make that a regular thing, you know, they're, they're not going to just be limited to the ground view or the God's eye view that you would get from an orbiter. You know, they'll be able to access places that the rover would never be able to go, but still get these up close and personal images, especially once they get it dialed in where they can take off land, slide it into small areas. You know, it's going to, the whole planet will become much more accessible to us to explore, which is incredibly amazing. Definitely. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to going, man. I'm gonna, gonna wait till they have the next mission. I'm gonna wait till they have a Starbucks on there for sure. <laughs> Maybe a Chipotle. you know by the well they'll have Amazon delivery, so you're <laughs> yeah, halfway that's there. True. And by the time this releases, I'm sure that will be a ton of news, and this whole mission will have already faded into the background of the news cycle. So maybe use this episode as a reminder that these incredible things are happening right now. Check the show notes, explore that NASA webpage about the mission. Unless you're a flat earther, then you probably have much more pressing (laughs) matters on your mind. And let's (laughs) more air quotes, huh? You're really assuming the listeners can discern those audibly. And let's have got a pretty uh, good sarcastic delivery. (laughs) It's true. Let's hope that um, Perseverance finally sends us a high-def photo from Mars that doesn't look like uh, a crashed like helicopter. Worse than my first GoPro, <laughs> first GoPro camera. It's like, come on, that's gonna be the first picture. Like, you're right, it is creepy, but like, it's creepy that it's not in high def. That's where my expectations were, but I'm, I'm sure that they'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, they'll get to it. It's it it's a long it's a it's a big upload that big file they gotta and put if in not the Mars Dropbox NASA we've lost all faith in you. <laughs> you know one more thing before we before we leave this topic I did see that Switzerland is celebrating the accomplishments of the United States and their NASA mission. They're projecting NASA images onto mountains in Switzerland. Uh, the Eiger, Jungfrau. I think there's three mountains. Have you, have you seen pictures of this? No. I'll find a link and I'll send it to you. It's pretty cool. Oh, that it's sounds like, awesome. That's the kind of international like pat on the back that I find like really freaking inspiring. Really cool. So thanks, yeah, Switzerland. We're, we're all Earthlings. We're all in this together. Let's- yeah become Even a the flat multi-planetary wins. race <laughs> let's do it yeah so so you got anything on your uh, content circuit well the main thing in my content circuit is i'm still working through the lost fleet i've got four yeah. books left 
but you can do I was it. uh I'm I'm in, I mean there's no way I'm gonna stop now it's <laughs> yeah. the most amazing series I've ever read but I got some uh, I know you don't really use Kindle but I I read on Kindle I just like having a book available with me at all time and I found uh these Kindle stats today I've read consistently the last 135 weeks and I've got 125 days in a row. The last day I missed reading was October 19th, 2020. I mean, what the hell was happening then? (laughs) It's like the, there's like this sea of blue that marks off every day I've read and there's one day. I mean, it must've been, I I must've slept all day or something. Are you a speed reader? You, you, not really. I think you, you've got to, you read way more than I do and I read quite a bit. But you must be I, a speed reader. I don't read fast, actually. I kind of take my time because I like to enjoy what I'm reading. But I think w- what it is is having Kindle, I just, if I'm sitting around doing nothing, I just pull up my Kindle and read. You know, I might read like two or three pages in the book and then put it down. Gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty cool. What about you? What's new on yours? Well, you know, uh, when I was still in Miami and I wrapped up, my uh check ride and pretty much all my congratulations again thank you very much um so you know sometimes you choose the content but sometimes the content chooses you if you know what i mean i've Um, heard that old saying (laughs) so amc on tv this is not on you know i wasn't streaming on my laptop or on my phone and and i just felt like vegging out and channel surfing but uh amc was having a walking dead marathon yes and no commercials they had like a 3 minute you know uh kind of sh- i don't know it was like a network ad basically between every episode and then no commercials so for like 3 days just walking dead was on in the background with whatever i was doing if i was in my hotel room walking dead was on um and you know i gotta say man i i kind of like i don't know why i lost interest in that show i was a huge fan when it first came out for several seasons i got the graphic novel and i read the graphic novel and at least the like volume one which was a compendium of you know several of the uh, omnibus yeah exactly yeah um but god i gotta revisit it i mean there one of the episodes that i saw was when uh glenn uh, you know, he was a character since the beginning and he gets, uh, the old, what was the name of that baseball bat wrapped with the chain or Lucille. whatever? Lucille. He gets Lucille to the head and, uh, classic I, moment. It is a classic moment. And I actually Googled it and I guess that episode was very controversial. Uh, lots of fans, you know, s- said they were going to step away from the show because they thought the show just went too far and it was too graphic. And that's in the book. Ugh, it, it's it, straight it, out of the book, right? You know, but I it, can but tell the you the way they depicted it. I mean, they could have been. I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult issue because it's a very graphic television show, and I. It's what the show is. I know. I the understand show is that. about people's heads getting destroyed. I I but understand that, but it, it was. I can tell was, you almost I was certainly when disturbed. you lost interest. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. it's. So, because this, I, I've been a huge Walking fan, uh, fan, Walking Walking Dead fan. That's the words, <laughs> Walking Dead fan since the beginning. Uh, and I do know what you, what you mean about losing interest at one point. It was after that moment. There, I think it's season eight and season nine. There's this war with the uh, with the saviors, Negan's group, and. They basically had like a season and a half of just straight action, which seems great, but you know, 
that stuff, especially in a show like that, is best as like a garnish. If it's mm. nothing but action, I know that after a while, it's like, just let me know when the war is over. And like, I, I you know, if, since the beginning, I've been just like, every every release date for Walking Dead, you know, like my wife and I would make it a point, like a Walking Dead date night and we watch the whole thing. And I think there was actually an episode that I brought to you guys once when we were uh, all hanging out with our best friends, the crew ball. It's the uh, season one finale where they go to the, uh, they go to the Atlanta, uh, what is it called? CDC. CDC. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I just, loved that episode about how it like gave you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. They go down into the CDC, like safe the, uh, like the bunker and they show the video of like what the zombie virus does when it takes over the human brain. And you see like the, the hopelessness on the doctor's name is Jenner. You know, he, he's talking about how his wife was the, the primary researcher and she died to this virus. And he's like, she was a loss to the world. I just work here. And he's like losing all hope. And he says that, you know, this is our extinction event. And it was just, I, th- I thought it was just like such an amazing moment that even if you weren't a fan of the show, it, it really like put into perspective everything that had happened and what a world ending event like this would be like. So that is awesome to hear that you're into that. And you should definitely catch up because since I would like season to. 10, yeah, it is fantastic back on track. Well, I feel like for so something that I learned that I want to mention uh, while we're on the topic is you know I have not seen the show from uh, from end to end from cover to cover yet, but I've seen enough of it that I think the theme and maybe this is like you know uh, annoyingly obvious, but it I you know I'm I think it's pretty clear that this theme is that humans are the monster and zombies aren't really the monster and you see like the levels of monsters being the humans getting worse and worse and worse. And it's almost, it seemed almost cartoonish to me back when I used to watch the show that how awful the, like how awful everything is going for these characters. I mean, basically all the time they're just like so bad to each other. There's just like, there's, they're always getting tied up. There's always somebody looting somebody else. There's always violence. There's always... And then now that I'm older and I have a little more life experience and I've seen how the show's progressed and I see the same theme getting revisited. Um, and then another moment... I don't know if you've been on an airplane recently, Josh, but uh, if you remember people boarding an airplane and how heated people get over a couple inches of leg room or who's elbows on the armrest i i had the realization like this isn't cartoonish at all this is an accurate representation of how humans would react i mean if we can't even handle like being sealed into an airplane with one another for like two hours imagine the world falling apart and you know the dead literally being animated and potentially ripping you apart like you're going to be stressed out and there's going to be have a thin <laughs> veneer of civility in our world exactly so i, I don't know. know i've it's met a, some it's people. a great show i've met people uh-huh. in my life that i'm like you know in a walking dead scenario this guy would be a governor type this guy would be a negan type yeah. and when i've had realizations about people like that i'm like whoa this is there is just there's so little standing between us and just like 
people totally going feral. And, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up, too, because, you know, I mean, they, they know that's the theme of the show. I think it's season three. The tagline is fear the dead, fight the living. And that's oh, yeah. ever since that point on, the walkers have kind of been like a background threat you know, there's definitely been episodes of the show with no walkers in it at all. It's just about like the interplay and the human drama, For sure. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's something that not every zombie fiction really, really gets into. You know, in a two-hour yeah. movie, you may not have enough time to really explore that theme. Right. Well, that was on my content circuit. One more thing I'll mention on my content circuit was uh, an episode of the podcast. And this is actually why I called you today after I got done jumping. Um, I wanted to tell you to listen to this episode of Sam Harris's uh, Making Sense podcast. And then, of course, I lost service. And I was like, oh, I'll just tell him on the show. Um, the episode is The Divided Mind. And it's an interview with this guy, uh, Ian McGilchrist. And McGilchrist? Not sure how to say that, but... It's about the differences of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain. It is unbelievable. I hope you listen to it. I'm either going to cover it on an off top in the future or it's going to get its own content piece. It's honestly one of the most fascinating pieces of audio that I've ever heard. And I want to read this guy's book now. Uh, He wrote a book called The Master and Its Emissary. Um, and it's about the right brain or the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. It's unbelievable, man. It's un like these experiments that the, I won't get into it because I'm going to get into it in the future. But that's been on my content circuit. So, so is that about, about like the create the creative versus the logical side of the brain or something? So that is a little bit of a disproven. Um, mm. You know, not a brainologist. Some, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that I think kind of began in like the 90s or even in the early 2000s and it's like a little bit pseudosciency I believe there were you know what they realized were there were differences between the two hemispheres but this guy I guess some of his uh, theories are a little controversial but he's thought about this and studied this for 30 years and he not only has a background in uh, you know studying the brain but he also is a philosopher basically um so yeah i mean they but they've they have some pretty interesting experiments from either people that have had left hemisphere damage or right hemisphere damage or they've had the piece of material that connects the two hemispheres together literally cut this is something that they did for people that had um certain conditions yeah i think some kind of seizure and so they could actually run experiments and communicate with just the left hemisphere or just the right hemisphere show you images and so he goes into all the differences and all it's it was a great episode so which uh, which hemisphere of the brain do you think is collectively damaged in the flat earth community (laughs) that's a good question it's probably the uh right hemisphere wait let me think about this for a second yeah it'd probably be the right hemisphere so he thinks that the uh Right Which they hemisphere. don't believe in, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is no spheres. <laughs> <laughs> the right hemisphere, uh, according to Ian McGilchrist, is um, is kind of the big picture. It understands context. It understands human emotion. Um, the left hemisphere is the language center, and it's kind of more utility, but it has a very focused 
um, sort of approach to things. Uh, its value system is a lot different. It doesn't really understand context. It just wants to get things for you. And uh, it's a bullshitter too. Whereas the right hemisphere is a little bit more down to earth and it's uh, it can be more pessimistic. It's closer to the truth. It's more accurate. But the left hemisphere will, I mean, it's literally will lie and bullshit and act, you know, it has a very high opinion of itself. And it's this the used guy car salesman hemisphere. It, it is. It's the Donald Trump of of, uh, <laughs> of brain, brain halves for sure. I mean, they, they literally brought up that Western culture is going towards a more unbalanced left hemisphere driven world. And it's very interesting because, I mean, our bodies need both. And that's why Darwinian evolution, I mean, these hemispheres have, uh, there, there's, uh, there's two of them for a reason. And they talk about this reason on the podcast, but I won't get into it because I do want to cover this more in depth. If one, Once I understand it more, because I just, I barely scratched the surface on it and I want to get into it in the future for sure. Wow, a whole content piece coming up about one podcast episode. Yeah. That's pretty Or maybe that, maybe that I'll read the book intense. first. Maybe I'll get yeah. into the book and then cover the book, something like that. So That sounds amazing. Yeah, so good. That's great, man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. What Welcome back, happens friends. happens when the engine stops? We all freeze and die. <laughs> oh, wow. What are we singing? What happens when the engine stops? We all freeze and die. I'm giving you a little preview. Oh, okay. Well, that is uh, That really threw me off, but why don't you continue because... They know that they're at the content clearinghouse. We just went <laughs> yeah. to a very short break. So take it away, Brett. So um, back in class, um, when I started training for my new job, the instructor I already mentioned once in this episode, Mike, he had a moratorium on political talk in the classroom. I mean, we were facing a new nice. political election. He just said, you know what? Leave it outside the classroom. Um, and naturally, that sort of extended to simulator training. And this is, you know, it's the it should be a rule at the dinner table at the workplace. Unfortunately, the TV. The, <laughs> the TV. So on the last day of emergency drills, um, I don't know how it I don't know how it was instigated, but a heated debate blossomed about the reality of climate change. Fortunately, it wasn't about flat Earth. All the pilots agreed that the Earth was round, at least in that new hire class. Something we can um, agree on. Thank goodness. So there might be aspects of climate change that I think, like most issues, that they, they're shades of gray, they're complex, they're difficult to parse out. Um, you know, how to get off fossil fuels, what kind of timeline do we have, 
how do we handle transitions to alternative energy sources? I mean, these, the, those are difficult issues. They are not black and white. But there's something that still blows my mind, and I, you know, I wish I would have just left the topic alone, because these were great people I was in class with, and, um, you know, you just want to end on a good note after a stressful month of getting a trained in a new aircraft for a new company, and you know, I, I feel like it kind of, we did we did uh, shake hands and make up at the end, but I did engage in this topic of discussion in this debate. And uh, clearly, I haven't let it go because I'm going to talk about it right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> were you on the side of renewable energy and what well, need to change things? No, the thing is, is like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with somebody what needs to be done because I don't know I don't know you're what needs a, to be done. You're not a climatologist. <laughs> oh, wait, that actually works. <laughs> it does. I think that's actually a thing. <laughs> um, the only thing that I was arguing is that climate change is real and humans are responsible for it. That's it. Oh, a climate change cook. <laughs> there you go. Is that what we're called? <laughs> I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I'm just I'm just pulling terminology from the flat Earth community with the globe cook. Yeah, I'm sure 4chan has a lot of colorful words for somebody that believes scientists. <laughs> so <laughs> Scientologists. <laughs> so people truly doubt that climate change is happening and it blows i mean it blows my mind and if they do halfway concede to climate change being a thing being factual they at least will maybe admit to that part but then they'll so doubt that it is caused by humans so uh in this topic of conversation with this person there there were these two points that he kind of kept coming to that the and I think that this is pretty indicative of climate change deniers and and how they hold on to this. So the general argument doubting climate change, I believe in this case and I think often is the case was well even scientists admit they can't be 100% sure. That is true. Okay? That is how science works. You come in with this mentality that we don't know everything. We run experiments and we test hypotheses. So if you run an experiment 99 times and 99 times you get the same result, you can be pretty darn sure that you'll get that same result for the hundredth time. But a true scientist will never say, without a doubt, I'm 100% positive we're going to get the same result. I mean, they can be close to 100% positive. But my argument was, are you going to trust you know, some political figure figure talking head or are you going to trust the people that sent the rover to mars i think um, the main problem is that it is political like they it's been definitely. turned into a political issue and so it's basically like i mean it's like any political issue it's like your your side of the aisle you have to adopt all the talking points you know and it's for sure it it's seems huge, like it's very, very it's very short-sighted and I'm I'm not a climatologist. That's a real thing. But I think I mean even here in Colorado, it was again. Everyone loves us here. Talk hear us talk about the weather. But <laughs> I mean, we really had our first cold bit of weather like this week, which is ludicrously long into the winter season. You know, like I was out riding my one wheel with like short sleeves on, and I know that you know like there's always argument like, Oh, that's just one data point. But it was 
pr- a pretty crazy winner so far. And it's it 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 seems like absolute denial to say that like everything that we're doing with our energy sources and pumping carbon into the atmosphere is not changing things. You know, it- well that brings me, yeah. So that brings me to the second part of the argument that climate change deniers usually have. And this is one that you do also hear a lot, I think. So you get this this concession, okay, climate change might be happening, but you know, there's no proof that it's humans or it can't be humans. And one of the things that this guy said that I think like triggered me or I just like couldn't let it go. Trigger warning. Um, <laughs> trigger warning. So he don't even he don't said it even Brett. <laughs> what queen? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of like millennial things to say. YOLO. YOLO. Hashtag games dogs. Still holding <laughs> on, baby, with my diamond hands. Oh um, God, <laughs> I am. Just uh, wait for tomorrow. Well, let us know how that works out for you. <laughs> tomorrow's Monday, and I gotta tomorrow since we're recording this on Sunday. Tomorrow's gonna be a. A big day for GameStop. I think we'll see. No one knows. We will it's like see. Like the climate, no everyone sure. will know when this episode drops. <laughs> so, um, they, you know, this the the thing that this person said on this particular side of the argument with, uh, oh, it, you know, you can't prove that humans have anything to do with it. He said, "Narciss, it's narcissistic to think humans have anything to do with it." That is what is triggering to me. It's so ridiculous to try to lump anyone that thinks humans affect the environment into some dangerously narcissistic category. Like, that is truly offensive. It is obvious that we... I mean, what? But my response was, look outside. Like, we're in Miami. Like, we have clearly had an effect on the environment. This used to all be coastal <laughs> swampland. Yeah, exactly. And now it's made of concrete. Exactly. And to, I mean, am I being a narcissist when I say that humans have split the atom, paved roads, domesticated and slaughtered millions of animals? I mean, these are just things that we have done. I'd say I'm this not is the bragging. one time you're not being a narcissist, Brett. <laughs> well, thank you, Josh. Anyway, so that's my soapbox. Um, and climate change sets us up for the circumstances seen in the movie that I'm going to talk about. Snowpiercer. Have you, you know seen what, Brett? This? I have not seen Snowpiercer. Oh my gosh! All right, I've All heard right. it's amazing. I'm gonna sell you on it. It's That's been on my great. list for a very long time. That is the mission of the show. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's my mo. So Snowpiercer, that and uh, arguing about climate change with coworkers when I really should just shut my stupid mouth. So um, Snowpiercer, those the two points of the show. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were talking about the show now. Sorry, I get, I'm getting wrapped up in my own drama again. So, <laughs> Snowpiercer, so narcissistic of you. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to the movie eventually. All right, <laughs> sure. Snowpiercer is a dramatic 2013 science a- uh, science fiction action film. Now, apparently, I just found out about this in my research. It's based on a French graphic novel. Now, um, I haven't seen the graphic novel. Haven't read it. But I have a suspicion that the person that really gave this movie its unique flavor and originality that earned the movie its 94% Rotten Tomato score is the director, Bong Joon-ho. Oh, now, yes. <laughs> you might recognize Bong Joon-ho as the director of the movie Parasite, 
So good. So good. Uh, Parasite is a movie that impressed audiences and critics, received serious accolades, and it also won four awards at the Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Feature, and Best International Feature Film. And it was the first non-English language film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, One person that wasn't impressed with Parasite was the former Commander-in-Chief Donald Trump, who who (laughs) used his... getting political again. (laughs) He used his valuable time as president to express how bad he thought the Academy Awards that year were and how he was not a fan of Parasite, and then he complained about trade problems with uh, South Korea. I don't like Uh, reading. (laughs) I don't know much, Josh, but I do know two things. Trump was not a stable genius, despite his claims, and he w- is not <laughs> not a contentologist. <laughs> Parasite was fantastic. It is so a great good. movie. Yeah. Um, but to be honest with you... It's the one I'm- time I can't get behind something he said. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, though, uh, I think Snowpiercer is better than Parasite, at least for me, for my movie tastes. Interesting. So, uh, the movie Snowpiercer, uh, it starts with these news clips talking about climate change, uh, and they hit pretty close to home. You hear this snippet that politicians are finally conceding that climate change is real, and honestly, this is something that I'm afraid of actually happening. We seem to be so behind the power curve right now as a society that we can't even agree on a few simple and observable facts like climate change or the earth being round. I mean, I don't know how much <laughs> like simpler you can Are we get. still debating that? Apparently. Some I people mean, are. Lots of people. Yeah, globe cucks. <laughs> I, I hope after this episode I never hear that term again. I don't like it. <laughs> it's bad. Um, it's, it hits we, too close to home. It's what you are. So I don't know how many flat earthers or climate change deniers there are but i do know at least millions at the bare minimum millions of people still put their trust in moronic political leaders or partisan politics over real researchers and true experts so in my opinion we are setting ourselves up for a situation where we are facing this massive existential threat that is very difficult to wrap our heads around because it's such a slow process when it comes to you know daily life. And one of the things that I'm afraid of happening is that eventually we, the people, will finally wake up to the reality that we face. And then we're going to decide that we're going to go ahead and uh, you know depend on scientists to rush in and find some miracle cure to get us out of this mess. And an unproven Hail Mary thrown together last minute by rushed scientists could be as scary as the problem. And that is exactly what happens in Snowpiercer. Awesome. To to attempt to stop global warming, countries start releasing this chemical, CW7, into the atmosphere to reflect sunlight back out to prevent the warming. This Uh, also is how the Matrix started. Is it? Yeah, they blacked out the sky to try to cut the sunlight off from the robots. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, they I This always like, leads to an apocalypse. Yeah, it was nuclear war to end the I guess it was cuz they were it, they were uh, like solar powered AI. Yeah, they black out the sky. I mean, that's what they say in, in the Animatrix, they show planes flying over and dumping chemicals into the oh, atmosphere. Okay. Oh. But continue. Okay. 
Oh yeah, no, I didn't know that. I thought it, I thought it was like a nuclear war, but I I haven't seen the Animatrix. I know I got to watch that. Um, so the solution backfires. It creates a new ice age, and then pretty much everything living dies in the freezing cold, except the last remnants of humanity. They end up circumnavigating the globe via this high-tech, complex, self-contained train. Um, pretty much everything that I've said so far is not really spoiler territory, but now I'm going to get into minor spoilers. I'm really not going to be spoiling the plot. This is really a fantastic movie. It's available to stream on Netflix right now, um, even if you oh, don't... Man catch this episode in time to see it for free on Netflix. This is one that you can rent by. I mean, it's, it's freaking awesome. Uh, but now I'm going to get into some minor spoiler territory. So according to an educational video shown to children on the train, that is very propaganda esque. Uh, the train travels on a circular railway that extends 480,000 kilometers and it completes one loop every year. Uh, now, some of my favorite parts of this movie actually take place in this scene, and I think that this is something that this director is really known for. It's kind of like dark humor, dark comedy. I know we've talked about that before on the It's Always Sunny um, episode of the podcast, and also these these changes of tone that are very like quick and jarring, and this is one of those scenes that goes from like kind of dark and horrifying to like really unsettlingly funny and humorous and then back to like action-packed violence um but that song i was singing earlier what happens when the engine stops we all freeze and die that takes place in this scene (laughs) uh another great part in this moment is when the teacher of this class is talking about how people in the old world made fun of the train's inventor, Mr. Wilford. But Mr. Wilford knew something that David, they did not. And when asked what this was, one little girl says, old world people were freaking morons who got turned into popsicles. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about it, man. So cute. You're going to love this movie. So the inventor of the train was Jonathan P. Locomotive engine. (laughs) I, I, I went to public school, though. Thomas the Tank, or what was that? Thomas the Train Engine? That's homeschooling for you, Brett. <laughs> you could tell by the the vacant stare in that Thomas the Tank Engine's eyes that he was homeschooled. That anthropomorphic freak. <laughs> it's messed up, man. That show freaks me out. It's It's like... It was the first example of Uncanny Valley, I think, in modern history. So It's good for ch- for children to be creeped out a little bit. Sets them up for the real world. <laughs> That's true. So they've been on this journey, on this train, for 18 years. Um, everyone is in a tight cast system. So there's the leader and the engineer of this vessel, Mr. Wilford. He live, lives at the very front, uh, basically inside the train's engine. And you hear over and over again, the engine is sacred and Wilford is divine. And that kind of gave me those uh, Mad Max Fury Road vibes. Totally. Um, So then as you move towards the back, people become less and less important until you get into the very back of the train where the dregs of humanity or whatever is left of humanity live. Now, you can imagine, if you lived in the back of the train, always getting the worst of the worst treatment, you'd uh, definitely want to revolt against this system. <clears throat> and you it's, couldn't have an action movie without that. 
<laughs> True. Um, I mean, it's a difficult task to rise up as any little infraction in this trained society can result in severe punishment. <clears throat> so one of these punishments is basically a plug being pulled out of the side of the train and then your arm or a limb being pushed through the hole and secured into place for a couple minutes, several minutes. It depends on the outside temperature. Till it breaks off, basically? Well, at the start of Snowpiercer, um, and like I said, spoilers, while this is happening, they they, uh, lock this guy's arm to the outside. Minister Mason uses the seven minutes it takes to freeze this degenerate's arm solid to give his rousing speech about every person in the train having their preordained position. Oh now, my Minister God. Mason is played by <laughs> uh, Minister Mason is played by a very disconcerting Tilda Swinton, one of my absolute favorite actors of all time. She is incredible. So one swing of the hammer from Tilda, and your frozen arm is bye bye. Ooh, brutal. That is gnarly. Yeah, that. That thing, that punishment is one of the few things, facts, I guess I actually knew about this movie. That's like one of those disturbing images that it's like made the rounds on the internet where yeah. I spent quite a bit of time. Yeah, here the uh, flat earther page isn't sucking all your internet time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. So speaking of the cast, um, she is actually just one of two MCU superstars that are in this movie. Uh, the other being Chris Evans, who yeah. plays the uh, troubled and guilt-addled protagonist, Curtis. My relative. He's your relative? Oh, because he has my like, last the same name. last name. <laughs> and you guys look so much alike. I know. <laughs> same physique. You're, yeah, you're just a, you're, you look just like Captain America before he got his <laughs> Shots. <laughs> You're not the first person to tell me that. I'm not. No. Oh my god. You have more than one asshole in your life, it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> You're the most narcissistic though. Oh man. Um so it's I mean that's it's a very interesting cast of people. I mean, there's um a South Korean cast member, King Ho Song. Um good old John Hurt is in this. Uh, I believe I recognize him from Harry Potter. I don't know. He's one of those faces you've seen. He's a like, classic that guy. Yeah, John Hurt. Exactly. Um, Octavia Spencer, Jamie Bell. Ed Harris plays Ooh. a pivotal role in this, and he's excellent in anything he does. Um, but seriously, the back of the train, these people undergo a lot of suffering. There's uh, protein bars made from pulverized insects. Delicious. There's general living in squalor uh and it appears that there's no running water to really bathe yourself i mean it is it's horrible and you push down a group of individuals like this for long enough and you're bound to get some revolutions and that's exactly what happens there's several unsuccessful attempts over the years that they sort of allude to um, but this group of tail enders as they're called decides enough is enough and they enact a plan to get to the front of the train now, as I mentioned this before, uh, this movie came out in 2013. I don't exactly remember what kind of reception it got, but I personally, and I feel like since you haven't seen this, this supports my theory, but I I feel like this movie slipped through the cracks of the mainstream. I mean, it is, I do believe it birthed a television show uh, based on it. I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's coming out soon, actually. I've seen, okay. I've seen commercials for I've it. I've seen yeah, previews it's... for it. I, I haven't seen it. I don't even know if it's out yet. I can't recommend it. But 
even if this movie is more popular than I suspect, I still would label this movie as underappreciated. I mean, it really is a masterpiece, and I kind of liken it to uh, Christopher Nolan's memento of mm. Bong Jong, um, uh, Boon Jong Ho movies. Did I say his name right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, I think you got it. <laughs> okay, so the parasite um, guy. The parasite guy. Thanks. Um, so there's two things that I want to mention about this movie specifically. So one of them, cause I'm not going to get into the plot anymore. You got to see it. Uh, but, there, but there's just two things that pop up for me when I watched this and when I watched it again. So one of the things that this brings up is my fear of a scientific solution gone wrong. I mean, I am somebody, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not a climate change denier. I was ready to put on a mask. Uh, you know, like I... What shape do you think the earth is? But... <laughs> I think it's sort of a... <laughs> I, I, if you were to... <laughs> if you were to take a lump of clay and roll it in your hands... <laughs> And then um, flatten it out. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is the this is the dumbest episode of this podcast we've ever recorded, and that says a lot. <laughs> yes, we have some unreleased episodes. We might be able to. Oh, that's pull true. Us, pull us back on track with in in the game stock saga. They call that lowering your average when you uh, continue to double down when the stock is being pushed even lower. Um, that describes the flat earth movement <laughs> to a T. Yeah, it's, you know, GameStop's the only thing that can unite the common people, whether you're right, left, uh, flat earther, round earther, globe cuck. <laughs> we're, no, we're all, we're all no, I'm the really GameStop happy about, flag. What's that? I'm, I'm happy that I did not have to limit my bagging on flat earth to just the off top. It really worked out. <laughs> yeah. It's It all connects, man. It all fits together. So despite my faith in science, uh, my trust in, you know, in the scientific method and the people that are, uh, you know, do amazing things for this world, like sending rovers to Mars, for God's sakes, um, there still is a precedent for scientific solutions gone wrong. Uh, so I couldn't find the specifics on this, but... There is an analogy here with CRISPR. Now, um, it would have taken me too long to re-listen to the episode that first introduced me to the CRISPR technology that I heard on the Radiolab podcast. Of course. And then there's, there's also a um, kind of a bioengineering special on Netflix, a documentary that was fantastic that really dove into CRISPR, but there was like these two analogies that stuck out for me relating to CRISPR or I shouldn't say analogies, but examples. One of them was the person that invented CRISPR, this amazing woman. I think she won like a Nobel Prize for this technology or something to that effect. Um, But she even realized early on the implications of this technology. And for those that don't know, CRISPR is a technology that can actually use your, your, the technology that's already exists inside your body to alter your DNA on such a precise and fundamental level that those four letters that make up your whole genetic code, uh, they can swap out one letter for another letter. So any disease that's related to your genetics could literally be cured. It's like Gattaca. 
I mean, it is it is so profound, and there are, uh, you know, there's uh, basically these political rules against, like these international agreements against using CRISPR and and doing genetic modification because it's just it's just one of those things like splitting an atom that's just too dangerous. Um, people have broken these laws, and there was a Chinese scientist that genetically engineered babies to be HIV uh, resistant. And I believe that uh, that doctor that did this actually disappeared or at least was thrown oh. in jail, something like that. I mean, it was a pretty serious breach. I imagine that the government of both China and the United States is probably experimenting with this stuff behind closed doors. Of course, this sounds like, <laughs> sounds like the first step towards super soldiers. You know, oh, there's a really sure. good... Uh, Daniel Suarez book, who I've talked about a lot on this podcast, he wrote uh, when we were talking about the UAP theory. Uh-huh. Uh, I mentioned him. He wrote the book Influx, which was about the gravity belt technology, which is exactly what we talked about in the UAP theory. Yeah, but he has another book called Change Agent. So he does very hard science, but with these these like really high concepts. And Change Agent is about uh, it's like in the CRISPR age. And the main character, he wakes up one day and he's basically in a completely different body. He's a different race. He has like a different muscular structure. And he had, he's, he's basically been genetically engineered with like a CRISPR-like injection uh-huh. that changes his entire body. And then, you know, he, he's, he's basically like his, his bio, uh, was it biofeedback? What it like his biomarkers all uh-huh. register him as like this criminal. And the, and the, the book is about him trying to find a way to re-engineer his way back to who he was and clear his name. It's a, it's a really interesting, interesting and highly recommended book change agent by Daniel Suarez. I'll check that out. Well, the, the, so this inventor of CRISPR, one of the things that they realize would just be like a very easy use of this technology that didn't involve engineering humans, um, which is, you know, such a confusing and loaded topic. Um, but they were talking about ending like West Nile and malaria and anything that was um, carried by mosquitoes by using CRISPR to make all subsequent uh, mosquitoes progeny one sex so either it was like all going to be male or all going to be female and they couldn't reproduce or something to that effect and they could wipe out mosquitoes in just like a few generations like a few months they could just stop mosquitoes and then this is when the inventor of CRISPR on the Radiolab podcast was like whoa like we do not know how that will have a ripple effect on the rest of the ecosystem because we are just now realizing you know and this goes back to like humans oh or you know to think that we affect the environment we're such narcissists to assume that no like we're all such brats (laughs) we're realizing that our ecosystem like the train and snowpiercer is this tightly connected and well-balanced machine that you know it's one small thing being a little bit off could have these serious ramifications that we you know, with the best of intentions, we try to make things better, and we have no idea what those ramifications are going to be. And then the like other mosquitoes exist for a reason; like nature <laughs> selected them to exist. For sure, and they don't fit in with humanity's idea of the ideal world, but they are there for a reason. Like they, they yeah. probably serve as a food source for something very right. important. 
You know, right. it's like like on The Simpsons or like the they release like the snakes in town to eat all the rats and then they release so, the <laughs> bears to catch all the snakes and so it's just that, keep going and going. This was the other example and I and I don't have like I said, I couldn't find this episode. I didn't have time to like look around for it. But on this Netflix special that covered CRISPR, there was this moment where this advocate for CRISPR was, I think he was going to New Zealand. And don't quote me on this, but I have the general idea. But they were, they wanted to help these people in New Zealand with this like rat problem or some kind of rodent. (laughs) And they were proposing this to this Maori council. And this one council member basically was like, we didn't even have rats on this island until the white man came and said they could fix our problem with the whatevers and they brought the rats and now we have <laughs> oh, a rat good. problem. So you're going to bring in this other thing and you're going to say you have the solution. Like, we don't want your problems here. And I mean, it's a very like poignant moment because this guy is just trying to help. He's like, hey, we I can just do this little thing and it like it's not rat poison and it's not like we're not, you know, torching them. It's just, we're just going to like diddle around with their genetics and then it just takes care of it. And this guy, you know, this like wise old man was just like, keep your shit away from here, man. Like, like you've done this before. This is like a, this is a thing for you. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the specifics right on it, but basically, um, there, there is this idea that we can fix problems with science, and I, I, as much as I put faith in science and trust in it, I do think that there's some dangerous uh, ramifications where we just will do things without thinking about them. Um, a little closer to home on the Snowpiercer subject, I'm going to link to an article from The Guardian that's literally about using reflected sunlight and reflecting the light back into space um, to help prevent global warming, this is a, this is an idea that scientists have, but there are potentially terrifying consequences for uh, this type of geoengineering or this climate engineering, as it's called. So, you know, check that out. It could be droughts. It could be crazy conflicts. They don't really, you know, they don't really know. Um, but you can read about that for yourself. So, moving on to my second point a little bit, and this is just jumping to what I was referring to earlier with Snowpiercer. So the second thing that this movie kind of brought to light for me is that I feel like directors of movies or like the the real creative brains behind these things, it sometimes seems like they have certain themes or topics that they really, really dive into and analyze. And uh, with Bong Joon-ho specifically, the theme that I think he's really obsessed with is this idea of classes or social hierarchies. And this makes sense to me. I mean, we've talked about this before, I think, on the show, especially in South Korea. This is There's a, a very much like a social hierarchy um, in, that's heavily enforced. We talked about this in Train to Busan. Yeah, exactly. It's a big part, um, big part of the film. Definitely. And, I, and I, it, this probably would have just... You know, it would have been a one-time, like, oh, this is just the theme he explored for this movie. But when you watch Parasite, I mean, it is clearly about these social classes as well. And this is, you know, obviously another Bong Joon-ho movie. So it, it kind of made me wonder if directors use their art or, you know, their their movie 
to analyze or to parse out something that's always occupying their mind. And I another example that I think of is uh, Christopher Nolan. And I mentioned him earlier, but Memento, and then moving on to Inception, Interstellar, um, his World War II movie where he plays with the narrative as well and and it always seems like he's bending time and reality and i mean those are very different movies but they have very similar themes and so i kind of wonder if that's the case for uh, bong joon ho that it's this like there's this classism there's this class warfare i want to notice this when i consume content and i like really like the director really and i want to see if they're like obsessed with the you know, there's that rumor of Quentin Tarantino being obsessed with feet. I don't know if that fits into my rumor. theory. <laughs> but I don't know. What do you think about that? Is this something that you've kind of like picked up on, I guess? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, especially if you're putting your art onto like such a global stage, like a movie, I, th- I think that's a big motivation for making art like that. You know, it's a way to like exercise your demons and you know, make a social statement. It's, yeah. I, I think, you know, if it's something with a message, then it makes all the sense in the world that that message would be, you know, something very important to the director or the writer, yeah. the entire team. For sure. Well, this is, I mean, this is something that I'm going to like look for a little bit more. I'm usually just one to, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, we're appreciators, we're contentologists, we're not critics. So I don't really think too much of, you know, analytically about the behind the scenes, unless the movie's kind of designed to turn my gears that way. Like I like getting lost in the content and just like being entertained and seeing just how I enjoy something. But a movie like this, I mean, Snowpiercer is so multi-layered and um, just has so much depth to it and such a fantastic style that you know, it really does like stir up these feelings while being incredibly entertaining and incredibly engaging and a little bit dark and a little bit disturbing. So, uh, you know, this is a movie about the delicate ecosystem that we all share. We might not all share a train, but we do share planet Earth. And when somebody like Mr. Wilford steps up to build some sort of societal system complete with the structure and rules and propaganda, it could all be with the best of intentions, but those intentions will not necessarily lead to the best outcomes. In my opinion, the director, Bong Joon-ho, he was trying to explore his own perspective and relationship with caste systems and social hierarchies and possibly warn us about the dangers of engineering our way out of our own problems. Maybe even showing us that as much as we try to control things that are out of our control, it might all be a waste of our effort. But... Uh, I don't know with that for your next movie night. I hope that you choo choo choose this apocalypse <laughs> train movie. Nice, Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so check it out, Snowpiercer. It's a good one. That sounds awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, I don't know how this has slipped by me. This is definitely gonna have to go on my content circuit. I got gotta catch up with Wandavision too. There's just oh, so, so many good things that I've got to. <laughs> Got to get down on, but yeah. Maybe th- with CRISPR, you can clone yourself and then you can wa- consume more content. That does sound convenient, yeah. <laughs> I could have him do all my chores in the house too. <laughs> Raise my babies for me. For that, actually. I, I could just go skydiving all day. There um, you go. So I think 
you know, actually the the idea of like engineering your way out of the problem, I think that is I've heard that argument in relation to global warming specifically several times where you know, it's people that have talked about this being a problem, but also that you know, it's kind of like brushed off. It's like, "Oh, it's humanity. Like we'll we'll figure it out. We'll science our way out of this problem." And that is something that like humanity has done quite often in the past because there's like the continual march of scientific progression and it you know it's it's scary to think that the problem might be too big yeah for this particular issue you know it's it i hope there's an amazing world that's not covered in snow to be left to my children when they grow up but it seems like a you know it, it could go several different ways and I'm too stupid to really understand all the pieces that go into it. But I think that there, you know, there's a good chance that we'll, we'll have someone come along that'll have a, a vision and the power to, you know, see that vision through that may get us back on track. That may be a little bit of wishful thinking though. It is humans we're dealing with same people that came up with flat earth. <laughs> right. Well, it is, it's certainly, um, <clears throat> You know, I, I think that we're going to start to see more and more extreme weather. Um, actually, I don't think that. I, like, I, I know that that's going to happen because not because I, uh, ha- I'm, I'm guessing or not because of some anecdotal uh, observations that I've made personally, which I have. I have seen more extreme weather. Um, but that's because that's what scientists have said is exactly what's going to happen with climate change. And so I think that we are going to see, you know, more extreme weather. We're going to see worse fires. We're going to see more droughts. And that's going to continue to worsen um, to a point where people will finally, once it starts affecting them and they see it with their own eyes, they'll be on board. Um, But by that point, I think think it's going to be too late. Um, And, you know, this is the kind of thing where it's like the ounce of prevention and the pound of cure thing. And there might not be a cure and we might be beyond the point of uh, a preventative measure. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And uh, so that's why I, you know, take it upon myself, even if it's annoying to some of my new hire classmates. I do my best to, you know, speak my truth. And that is the scientific truth and to at least share some good links and some good articles and, uh, you know, tell them, Hey, NASA's on board with climate change. They have a whole page (laughs) about why it's real and what the data suggests and how it's, it's pretty much, uh, uh, undeniable. I mean, it's irrefutable according to basically any self-respecting scientist. So, um, Snowpiercer, check it out. We might be all living on a train soon. That's all I got to say about it. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll just add glo- global warming to the uh, the tally of things that 2020 brought to our life. Um, I'm going to watch this movie. Do Sounds it. fantastic. I just have one question for you. Yeah. What do you think flat earthers call global warming? <laughs> I have no idea. Do you have a punchline prepared? Nah, I mean, just oh. something. It just have to be something like plate warming, disc warming, back of oh, turtle I... warming, something along those lines. Of... 
<laughs> Bag of turtle warming for sure. That's what I'm going with. Perfect. Yeah. That well, would that would be a twist of irony to believe that the earth is flat, but to trust the scientists on the climate change. I don't know why they're lying about the the first part, but the rest totally makes sense. Seems like a stretch, but that's <laughs> denial for you. Yeah. Uh well, thanks for bringing this man. Thanks everyone for listening to the show. Uh please Follow us on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Content Clearinghouse. Uh, you can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Join our Discord, get on there, contact us, talk directly. The link is in the show notes. Thanks everyone for listening. We love you guys. Please join us next week on the Content Clearinghouse.